Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If anyone were to look at the state of Lincoln Park around 2011, there would have been no reason to think that anything was wrong. In the 10 years since the band was formed, they'd sold over 80 million albums. They had millions of fans all over the world. They were in firm control of their career, planning to release a new album every 18 months or so, a schedule that they, not their record label, set out. Plus, they had time to indulge in all kinds of side projects, some musical, some not, like uh, remix albums, soundtracks, even movies. DJ Joe Hahn had started to direct films. It's really not a bad position to be in for a bunch of guys still in their 30s, right? Well, that was the view from the outside, and for the most part, that rosy view was correct. But if anyone had taken the time to really get to know Chester Bennington, there might have been some early warning signs. They would have been subtle, slow-burning things, almost undetectable. But in hindsight, something was going on inside, something that would end tragically about six years later. This is the third and final part of our remembrance of Chester Bennington. This is the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. That's Catalyst, the first single from Linkin Park's fourth studio album, A Thousand Sons, which came out on September 10th, 2010. Very successful record. But by then, the definition of success had changed. The music business was a lot different than it was when Linkin Park started out 10 years earlier. Hybrid Theory, the first album, sold 30 million. It came out in 2000. The second, 2003's Meteora, sold 27 million. After that, Minutes to Midnight was released in 2007 and sold 20 million. And then we get to A Thousand Sons. The worldwide number was around 6 million. Two things came together for that fourth album. First of all, the drop in physical music sales. Streaming was starting to take over. And second, Linkin Park's sound kept evolving. This record polarized fans. On one side, you had fans who were okay with the changes in music. On the other were those who, well, hated it. Same thing with critics. Some praised the record. Some thought it sucked. Some said it was the best record of the year. Others said it was the worst. But Linkin Park seemed to be okay with this because they expected problems going into this record. They knew that a concept record dealing with nuclear war that included changes in musical approach was going to annoy some people. You know, guitars in the background, fewer raps from Mike Shinoda, more electronic elements, programmed beats. But they looked at this changeup as a brave and necessary way forwards. But you see, Linkin Park was in a rather unique situation regarding creative control over music. Let's back up just a bit. In the spring of 2005, Warner, Linkin Park's record label, came to the band and asked them to play a special gig in New York. They wanted the band to perform at the New York Stock Exchange to celebrate Warner's impending initial public offering after a big organizational and financial restructuring. This is not unusual. Record labels ask their big acts to play gigs for them all the time. Linkin Park, though, was pissed at this one. Not because they were being asked to play a special gig by their record label. Not because they were being asked to play at the stock exchange. But they were upset at the financial reorganization, which saw cuts of $250 million at the label. 
The band and their management believed that these cuts were going to hurt the label's ability to promote the music of Linkin Park and other acts on the label. Wait, 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 you're making these cuts? Cuts that will hurt us? And you want us to play your little celebration? Ain't going to happen. Oh, and the reason you're going to get so much money for your IPO is because we sold 57 million records with just two albums. And what's our piece of this? Nothing. So Linkin Park put out a press release. The new owners of Warner Music Group will be reaping a windfall of $1.4 billion from the $2.6 billion purchase a mere 18 months ago if their planned IPO moves forward. Lincoln Park, their biggest act, will get nothing. Of that planned $750 million raised by an IPO, only about $7 million will be put towards the company's own operations, with no money going to Warner artists. Warner fired back, saying that this was just a ploy during a time of contract renegotiation. We value our relationship with Linkin Park, and we are proud of our work together since signing the band as a developing artist in 1999. While Linkin Park's talent is without question, the band's management is using fictitious numbers and making baseless charges and inflammatory threats in what is clearly a negotiating tactic. Warner Brothers Records has made significant investments in Linkin Park, and they have always been compensated generously for their outstanding worldwide success. This very public fight went on for months before an agreement was reached. Linkin Park got a $15 million advance for the next album, which was Minutes to Midnight, and they were also given an option for up to five more albums with a royalty rate of 20%, which is a pretty insanely high rate. But in the end, Warner had little choice. With a new presence in the financial markets, what were they going to do? Lose their biggest rock band? Actually, it was more than that. Lose the biggest rock band in the world at the time? Uh-uh, they weren't going to do that. So, Linkin Park walked away with a huge advance and assurances that they could make the music they needed to make. Which explains a lot when you consider the evolution of Linkin Park's sound over the years, doesn't it? All right, back to the story. Linkin Park had plans to release a new album every 18 months. So, if A Thousand Sons came out in September 2018, then the next record needed to be ready for the spring of 2012. And on June 27, 2012, a little bit behind schedule, there it was, a fifth album called Living Things. This one was less polarizing than A Thousand Suns. More familiar territory are words that were used a lot in reviews about this record. In other words, more anger. Burn It Down, Linkin Park from Living Things, released on June 27, 2013. Where was Chester in all this? Well, he was trying a few different things. Acting, for example. He played a stoner in a pharmacy in the 2006 movie Crank. He showed up in the sequel, too, as some guy in a park. He had a minor role in the 2010 movie Saw 3D. And then he played himself in a 2012 movie entitled Artifact. He was also messing about with this side project, Dead by Sunrise. He was also involved in the creation of LP Recharge, which was an online action game based on the band and launched through Facebook. And then there was another remix album called Recharged. Now, as all this is happening, you had to admire Linkin Park for how they insisted in following their music to wherever it took them. They weren't afraid to experiment, to confuse, to annoy. The music dictated everything. And then another sort of music called, and Chester had to follow that. 
More on this part of the story in a second. You're listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. After almost a dozen years with Linkin Park, Chester Bennington was not going anywhere. But he also wasn't going to pass up cool opportunities outside the band. In February of 2013, Scott Weiland was kicked out of the Stone Table Pilots. Too many drugs, too much alcohol, too much drama. Most people thought that that would be the end of STP, but then in May 2013, the group took the stage in Los Angeles, and out front, not as a temporary lead singer or a guest, but as a full-fledged member of the band, was Chester Bennington. Here's what STP's Dean DeLeo wrote at the time. Chester has a one-of-a-kind voice that we've admired for a long time. We know Linkin Park will always be his priority, but we thought it would be cool to try something together. And Chester said this, I've loved STP since I was 13 years old, and they've had a huge influence on me. When the opportunity came up to do something creative with them, I jumped at the chance. The guys in Linkin Park have been incredibly supportive of me undertaking this project while I've continued to work on new music with Linkin Park. So, for the next two and a half years, Chester toured and recorded with Stone Temple Pilots. Chester Bennington taking over from Scott Weiland with the Stone Temple Pilots. That arrangement worked pretty well until November 2015 when Chester felt he had to bail. But everybody involved says that the split was totally friendly. Here's Chester's statement. The last few years have been an amazing experience. I got to create and perform with one of the greatest rock bands of our generation that had so much influence on me growing up. With the amount of time STP deserves, in addition to being in Lincoln Park and with the needs of my family, one of them always seems to fall short. Going into this, the four of us, Robert, Eric, Dean, and myself, knew what we were up against. We decided in due fairness to friends, fans, and the legacy of STP that it needs more than time was allowing me. And in all fairness to my bandmates in Lincoln Park, as well as to myself and my family, I'm going to focus solely on Lincoln Park so I can contribute 100%. It's been an amazing experience and a dream come true. And I look forward to the future of both STP and Lincoln Park. All right, fine. That's fair. Everybody knew the situation going in. That new Lincoln Park album had been recorded and released while Chester was doing double duty with STP. It was called The Hunting Party, and it came out on June 13th, 2014. One of the singles from The Hunting Party, the sixth studio album from Linkin Park. There would be one more album, and then, well, we'll make it to the end next. Now, back to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. I want to illustrate again how much the record industry changed over the course of Linkin Park's career. Their first album sold 30 million copies after it was released in 2000. By the time the numbers started coming in for their sixth album in 2014, worldwide sales barely added up to a million. But the good news for Linkin Park is that they had established themselves with a deep catalog and as a major live act, so there was still plenty of money in touring. Plus, 
Of all the behind-the-scenes people I've seen working the online and social media worlds for bands, I have never seen an organization smarter than the one behind Linkin Park. These people had it down when it came to taking care of the fan base in a modern 21st century digital way. Outstanding stuff. And the band was totally in. If you've ever followed Linkin Park on social media, you know what I'm talking about. They were always in touch with the fans, feeding them stuff, interacting, slipping them special contents and special releases and music. Chester Bennington seemed to be in a good place too. The drugs and alcohol were long behind him. Okay, there was that crisis in 2005 when he got divorced. But by marrying Talinda in 2006, that was the best thing for him. He'd been straight ever since. And yes, there was that lingering issue with depression, but leading up to the release of the One More Light album in the spring of 2017, he seemed pretty cheerful and optimistic. Mostly, anyway. There's a story about Chester working an event called Rock to Recovery, which is all about sober musicians. This was in October 2016. He met everybody at the door with his new puppy, making sure that everybody got a chance to meet the dog. He was so happy. Back to the record. There was again pushback from fans over the sound of some of the songs that were released ahead of the One More Night album. But Chester went on the offensive, defending the band and their music, hitting back hard against critics who said the band had sold out and had gone soft just to make more money. Here's a quote. When you make it personal, like a personal attack, who we are as people, like, dude, shut up. That means I can actually have feelings about it. And for most of my time, the feelings are, I want to kill you. He later backpedaled a bit, apologizing for being harsh. But there were subtle signs that things weren't 100% okay. In August 2016, he apparently went on a three-day bender that saw him drink until he blacked out. Friends say that he continued to drink as late as October 2016. In February 2017, he spoke about the lyrics to a song called Heavy that appears on One More Light. I have a hard time with life. Even when it's good, I am just uncomfortable all the time. The opening line, I don't like my mind right now. Like, that is me 24 hours a day. And if I get stuck in here, like, I, I just find life really hard. It doesn't have to be. Listen to this. Maybe, I don't know, hindsight. But then again, Chester always wore his emotions on his sleeve, right? This couldn't be any different than any other Linkin Park song, right? Why is everything so heavy? Hold it up. So much more than I can carry. I keep dragging around what's bringing me down. If I just let go, I'd be set free. Hold it up. Then came something that really rocked Chester's world. That was the death of Chris Cornell. Chester and Chris had a friendship that went back years. Linkin Park toured with Chris. He and Chester hung out together. Chester was the godfather of Chris's son, Christopher. They even performed together. If we go back to the 2008 Project Revolution tour, Chris was on the bill. And when he stepped forward to sing the Temple of the Dog song, Hunger Strike, a song written for and dedicated to Chris's late roommate, Andrew Wood of Mother Love Bone, Chester surprised everybody by coming in to sing with him. This recording was released twice by Linkin Park to their fan club. Chester Bennington and Chris Cornell together on the Project Revolution tour in 2008. Like I said, best of friends 
for the rest of their lives. All right, like I said, the big shock was Chris Cornell's suicide. He was found dead early in the morning of May 18, 2017, in the MGM Grand Hotel in Detroit, just a couple of hours after the band played a show at the Fox Theater the night before. We will never know what led Chris to do that. That was just devastating to Chester, who, as we know now through some of those interview quotes that we've heard, was in an emotionally fragile state to begin with. At the funeral, Chester sang Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, and he wrote this on his Twitter. Your voice was joy and pain, anger and forgiveness, love and heartache all wrapped up into one. I suppose that's what we all are. You help me understand that. The day after the memorial for Chris, Chester tweeted again, saying that he was feeling very creative and had written six brand new songs. A friend said he told her this, we have to stick together and we have so much to live for. But then less than two months later, Chester would be gone too. So what happened during those few weeks? Let's try to trace the steps. In June and July 2017, Linkin Park toured Europe. The band was on fire. People remarked that Chester seemed to be in the best physical condition of his life. Once that tour wrapped up, there was supposed to be a short break before a new 29-date tour through North America. That was in support of the One More Light album. It had been another number one album, and the single Heavy was doing well on the radio. Chester was talking about a reunion with Grey Days, a band from his pre-Lincoln Park days in Arizona. Chester and his wife and his family were super tight. They meant everything to him. They had just bought a brand new house in a beautiful gated community. And to get ready for the Lincoln Park tour, he and Talinda went on vacation for a couple of weeks. There were texts to the guys in Stone Temple Pilots, and all seemed very happy and very positive and very optimistic about the future. But there were a few warning signs. Nothing that set off sirens, especially when you consider how much positivity Chester was oozing that summer. But in June 2017, he did tell his friend Ryan Shuck of his side project Dead by Sunrise that he was suffering, and this is a quote, an hour-by-hour -hour battle with addiction. Now, at this point, Chester was about six months sober after some kind of relapse early in the year. Alcohol seemed to be the problem. On July 14, 2017, the band shot an episode of Carpool Karaoke with James Corden. That seemed to be loads of fun. We've seen the video since then, and Chester looked great. On July 18th, he spoke with Sean Dowdle of Grey Days. They'd known each other since they were teenagers, and Sean says that Chester sounded great. And then later that day, there was video of Chester laughing and joking with his family. Everything looks fine. On July 19th, he sent an email to Matt Sorum, the former drummer with Guns N' Roses, saying that he would like to reform Kings of Chaos, an all-star covers band. That'd be so much fun, he said. But less than 24 hours later, he'd be dead. He was alone in the house the night of July the 19th. Talinda and the kids were away. Around 9 in the morning of July the 20th, what would have been Chris Cornell's 53rd birthday, the family's housekeeper ran out to an arriving limo driver who was there to pick up Chester for a photo shoot. She'd found a body. 911, what's your emergency? Hi there. Um, I just, I'm working. I'm a driver. And okay. I just got to the location and his housekeeper came out and said that he, he unfortunately killed himself. Okay, so um, the person came out and said somebody is in fact is 
kill themselves? Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't seen him. I'm, I'm sitting in the car. His housekeeper came up to me and said that he, she found him dead. Okay. Stay on the phone, okay? Um, is okay. she able to talk to see if there's any kind of breathing or anything like that? Yeah. She's, I, I asked. I said, is he, is he cold? Is he warm? Is, and she said, no, he's, he's, he's dead. He's been hanging, and she's talking to his wife right now. Okay. Stay on the phone. I'm going to transfer to the fire department. Stay on the line, okay? Thank you. PV7 Lincoln 11, 7 Lincoln 12. Are there fire in three? Hey, it's Kimmy with the transfer. Sir, go ahead and talk to her, okay? Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so I just got on location. I'm, I'm a truck driver. Um, we're trying to pick up, uh, and this housekeeper came out and said that he unfortunately killed himself. He, he hung himself. He's in his room. So. Okay, what's what's the address where you're at? Are you at a home or an apartment? It's, it's a home. And uh, what yep. city are you in? Um, Palos Verdes Estates. Okay, and do you know the closest cross street there on the corner? I don't, to be honest. That's okay. What's your phone number, area code? Thanks. And how old is he? Um, mid forties. Mid forties. Okay. Yeah. And he he's hung himself in the room. That's what his housekeeper said. I I haven't been in the house. I haven't seen him. Is that the housekeeper I can hear behind you? Yeah. Okay. So She's you haven't his wife. you haven't been inside at all? No, not at all. Okay. Just yep. have everybody wait outside of the room, and um, paramedics and the PD will be there shortly. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye bye. A half-empty bottle of vodka was found by the body, and as far as anybody knows, nothing ever turned up in the toxicology report. So why did Chester do this? See, that's the thing about depression and addiction. Sometimes a notion can just seize you. And before you know what you're doing, it's done. It's not a rational decision, but if the pain is so bad, nothing is rational. You just do it. The shock to fans was profound. Tributes, memorials, murals, and many, many acknowledgments of his influence on rock, metal, and rap. Like Chris Cornell and Scott Weiland, he had an undeniably amazing voice that helped define alt-rock for a generation. On October 27, 2017, there was a three-hour tribute to Chester featuring his friends from Blink-182, System of a Down, Corn, Avenged Sevenfold, and more. The whole event at the Hollywood Bowl was seen by millions as it was streamed live. Lincoln Park, paying tribute to their fallen bandmate, live at the Hollywood Bowl, October 27th, 2017. Back in a moment. More of the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. If there's one thing that we can learn from Chester Bennington, it's that we need to talk about mental health issues, things like depression and addiction. The warning signs aren't always obvious. A person may be in terrible, terrible pain, and not let on. And then just one day, things go horribly, horribly wrong. And we're left asking questions. Why didn't we see something was, was amiss? If you find yourself dealing with mental health issues, get some help. Talk to somebody. There is no dishonor. There is no shame in asking for a hand 
because you're having trouble. And if you know someone who's suffering, it's not a matter of telling them to smile or cheer up. That's not going to help. Understand that there's pain in there and it needs to be properly addressed. Chester was really, really good about being honest about his mental health. He encouraged many, many people to take that first step to talk about things. And in Chester's memory, Lincoln Park has the One More Light Fund, an organization that offers help to those who need it. But as to why Chester fell short for himself, we'll never know. That just goes to show you how insidious depression and addiction can be. If this is a problem, get help dealing with it before it's too late. There's a website that goes along with the show. It's called a journal of musical It's updated every day. There's also a free daily newsletter. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google plus. And my email is always available. Alan at edge.ca. Plus there are podcast editions of these shows. Get them all through iTunes or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan cross. You've been listening to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and through Google Play.